guys, it's Janice. If you love this podcast and you've gotten great value and maybe a bit of entertainment out of past episodes, please consider a donation in support of both my podcast fees and my coffee habit. There's no obligation. Just click the link below and thanks so much for your support. Now on to today's episode. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So there's a good chance that you create posts of some description for Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. Or you're on Twitter, you write on your blog, or you post to YouTube. And you're here because you communicate with others about your business. You create content that your audience consumes, and that content helps promote you, your business, and your products or your services. You spend some time creating that content, thinking out what you're going to say, planning out the pretty pictures or the lovely fonts and colors, and writing copy. But do you ever wonder if everyone likes what you create as much as you do? Or if others even understand what you've just posted? Have you ever thought about how accessible your content is to people who have a neurological or physical disability that makes them receive your information differently than you do? And how that might be impacting your relationship with these people? your reputation, and ultimately your bottom line. Well, today we're going to talk about accessibility in communications, and I think it's one you're going to find interesting. So stay tuned. Hey, hey, and welcome to this episode of Connections Coffee and Confidence with me, Janice. On this podcast, I talk about strategic communications, content creation, and messaging. So whether you communicate or create content for your business or as your business, I know you'll find something in here that will help you succeed. And thank you so much for being here with me on this episode. It's one a bit nearer to my heart and a topic that I'm learning more and more about. Accessibility. The accessibility of our communications and the layers of thought and intention that lay behind making our messaging accessible to everyone. When we don't make our communications accessible, well, just as you might expect, things go wrong. Now, this was a difficult topic to get some really good, relevant stats around. There's a lot of anecdotal information. There's some information that kind of sidles up next to where I want it to be. But I did find a study by Project.co, published in 2022, 
and of course linked in the show notes, regarding the cost of poor communication on business. Over a quarter, 26% of respondents said they feel that the way businesses communicate, both internally and with customers, has deteriorated during the past year. 46% of businesses say they've lost a customer because of poor communication. That's almost half. And 70% of people say they've stopped dealing with a company and moved to a competitor due to a feeling that the company was disorganized. Now those are big numbers, but this is the biggest number. 95% of people feel that the businesses they deal with could improve when it comes to communication and project management. 95%. And those are just the numbers around people and communication in business. When we look at statistics for people with disabilities, I'm not going to lie, it's a tough read. The following statistics are compiled from Statistics Canada and ddiy.co. The specific studies and the websites are linked in my show notes. The Canadian stats are from StatsCan, and the rest are from the ddiy.co study. 6.2 million Canadians over the age of 15 and 61 million adults in the U.S. live with a disability. So if you are thinking that there's really not enough people to kind of make you worry about this topic, that's a lot of people. Of the Canadians, 80% use the internet. But one-fifth of those who do not say it's because a lack of required assistive technology or because too many websites are inaccessible. That sound? That was the sound of my heartbreaking. In the U.S., 59.6% of people with disabilities live in a household with internet access. Now, this... Okay, this is a real shock, but it illustrates the Canadian stat about why some people with disabilities don't use the internet. In a study of more than 1 million home pages, an average of 51.4 accessibility errors per page was detected in February 2021. That is not that long ago. 51.4 errors per page. Would you read something that had 50 errors on it? Can you imagine the frustration, especially if this was vital information or something that could really improve someone's life and well-being? And what about the fact that 97.4% of the world's top 1 million websites don't offer full accessibility? That's kind of shocking, isn't it? But you might feel like that doesn't really apply to you because you aren't in the top 1 million websites. Okay, well, remember how those websites had an average of just over 51 accessibility errors per page? That same study found that in some specific areas of online businesses, that's us, the statistics for errors on the homepage are worse than average, with the worst being shopping at 75.2 errors per page. I know that hits those of us who run a small business right in the gut. And it's easy to make excuses, but it might be just as easy to start making some changes. 
I often talk about how when you're niching your audience and tailoring your message for a particular audience that you will include or exclude people based on how you talk about something. Niching and being exclusionary is fine when it's intentional and not based on bias, but excluding people because you didn't know you were doing so, that is harder to live with. This episode is my attempt at providing some basic tips on how we can make our communications more accessible to people with varying abilities who are using different technologies or processing and understanding our work in different ways. Now I've thought about this for a while because I've been seeing how my boys are interacting with technology and with written and audio content. I'm I'm looking at what they find appealing and what makes it easier for them to process the information presented. But I'm also really aware of language, so I'm always looking at different words and phrases, where they come from and how they can be interpreted, or more importantly, misinterpreted. But I'm not. (laughs) I am not an expert on accessibility. The little bit of research that I've done has only shown me that I have so much more to learn, and there are proper experts that are better equipped to discuss this. For example, If you are on Twitter, please go follow hashtag HeyAlexa, all one word, for information. And you'll find a link to her book on accessibility and communication in my show notes, which you will find wherever you're getting this audio. She specializes and literally wrote the book on accessible social media content. So, like I said, I'm not an expert, and I'm still waiting to dig into her seemingly really well-written book which I downloaded. I didn't get a copy from her for a review or anything like that. I just feel this is a topic that we need to be aware of. We need to be sensitive to, and we need to design our communications with the broadest audience in terms of abilities in mind. When I decided to write this episode, I made a conscious decision not to base it on what is in Alexa's guidebook. I stopped reading after the first page or two in order to avoid just blatantly plagiarizing her material. I really think that if this is something that you do for your job, you should go and learn from the experts or hire someone to make sure that your content is access- is as accessible as it can be. And that is not me. I decided to make this episode about five small things that we as business owners and content creators can do easily and immediately to make our content more accessible. There are things that I've been trying to incorporate into my work and my client work over the last number of months. To me, they seemed like the most obvious pieces to begin putting in place. And once you have the basics down, you can dive deeper into becoming more inclusive, or maybe two or three of these steps is all you want to incorporate. The decision, as always, is yours. But you'll make a more informed decision after hearing this episode. The first piece of accessibility is around language used. Now to many of us, specific words have specific meanings. But those specific meanings aren't always common to everyone. Somewhat of an example is that expression to call on someone. My husband once asked if I minded if we called on his parents. To me, that meant picking up the phone and calling them. To him, that meant detouring from our way home and actually stopping in to visit them. I missed his intention because that phrase meant different things to each of us. And this applies to jargon as well technical terms and phrases. Sometimes someone might be able to look at a word and process the meaning out of the context of the rest of the sentence or the paragraph, but not everyone will have the ability to do that. 
grammar matters as well. There is a large movement towards writing the way we speak, and I love that idea. But I also still love grammar. Proper grammar ensures that the context and the content of the sentence are more easily understood. It's yet another type of barrier that we can eliminate by using a grammar check or by having someone else check our work if necessary. It's important that we communicate using our own voice, that we are natural and personable and real. Voice is part of your brand, but please be aware that if you delve into a really personal voice, you will exclude people who don't share the same slang, the same language choices, the same dialect. And I am in no way saying, don't use your own voice. I'm saying do it with the understanding that not everyone will understand you and therefore will move away, taking their money and their influence with them. The second accessibility piece is about images. There are a few different aspects of images to address, but in the interest of making this a reasonably quick and simple list of things that we can implement, let's talk about three. Beginning with contrast, because according to the DDIY.co study, low contrast text was found on 86.4% of home pages. This is the most commonly detected accessibility issue, with the average home page having 31 distinct instances of low contrast text. Those are big numbers. And so many of us overlay text on images. Heck, I do it. But some people with visual impairments such as colorblindness will struggle with that way of sharing information. No way around this because I, I just don't think we can give this up completely, especially in social media. But a way around this is to ensure that there's significant contrast between the image and the text. You can do that in a few different ways, such as placing a small white box behind the text to make sure that the text stands out, or moving the text to a different place on the graphic where there isn't anything to distract or compete with that text. Say you had an image with a large chunk of clear blue sky. Move the text to sit on the clear sky part and make the text a light color to stand out against the blue background. Contrast. And next is using descriptive or alternative text. Alt text. That's where you use an image and then somewhere in the copy you write a description of what's in the image. You can also write down the image's relevance to your main copy or basically choose what points to highlight for your visually impaired audience. And even though it's not exactly the same, I'd like to add in the notion of subtitles for videos too. For those who can't hear audio, either because of a disability or because they can't turn the sound on due to where they are, subtitles enable more people to access your information. If you have the text stored on your website or somewhere accessible, a link to that info would be a really great way to ensure that people still have access, even though it is still another step to get the information. And finally, a quick word about flashing or moving images. Flashing images can be triggering to some people with photosensitive epilepsy or to those prone to seizures, and this includes GIFs and video clips. If your online content uses a video or a GIF, a simple line right at the very top can be enough for sensitive audience members to know not to scroll forward. It's really important for them to be able to access the information in another way though, so this isn't necessarily a quick and simple fix. The simplest fix? 
may be to just not use flashing images. Now there's no doubt that images are incredibly important to help get your point across, to add to your messaging or even to better explain your messaging. However, it just doesn't work for everyone. So while I don't think we can stop using images to communicate, we do need to be more intentional with how we incorporate images into our communications. The third piece of accessibility for us to be aware of is, well, honestly, it's still visual, but it's fonts. Obviously, this is not massively important if you're not creating written content, as the software that automatically provides subtitles, if you're doing something like a podcast or a YouTube video, well, that software will automatically have its own default font. But when you create social media or other written text, it's really important to choose a legible font. I know many of us have seen the top 30 poorly designed logos or whatever, where the font is either illegible or it looks to the average eye like something, eh, let's say unintended, usually rude. Screen readers and people with visual disabilities struggle with fonts that have irregular structures, say where every third letter is kind of a, an irregular size. I totally love a pretty script from Canva, and the suggested font pairings, oh gosh, they can be so beautiful. But when it comes to actually inputting text and being able to decode or read that text, sometimes it just doesn't work. And it may feel less exciting or attractive to stay away from the fancy scripts or many of the serif fonts. A serif font, by the way, is one where there's that little extra line, like a, like a tag on your clothing, on fonts like Times New Roman, for example. Anyway, most advocacy websites recommend primarily using a sans-serif font to be compatible with most screen readers. So the clean looking fonts that don't have the, the little tag. But that said, Times New Roman is also a highly recommended accessible font. So really the takeaway from this is to stay with like the classic fonts, nothing flowing and script-like as even if the screen reader can read the font, it may read a script capital T as quote, mathematical sans-serif script T, which frankly is way too long because it makes you forget how the sentence even started, doesn't it? And while we're talking about a screen reader and how that can make things longer, emojis can get the same treatment. So if you have an emoji in your sentence, the screen reader will then have to describe that emoji, adding time and words to your content, taking away from the essential information that you're trying to get across. So it's probably better to forego them if they don't actually add something really necessary to the content or the context. And along the same lines as fonts and visuals is the fourth aspect of communications accessibility, and that is formatting. This, like good grammar, makes content more accessible and more comprehensible for everyone. The old standards of just left justifying for a Western audience applies, meaning your text starts from the left side of the screen or the page and the right side is uneven or jagged. So where the line ends depends on how long the words in that sentence are, where they fall. 
using capital letters to start sentences, to open quotes, to name proper nouns such as a place name or someone's name, assuming of course that they don't have a stylized way of writing their name with no capital. And do you know where else capital letters count? Inside hashtags. And that's not something most of us really think about when we're on Instagram. But you would want to capitalize a hashtag who remembers because a screen reader is going to read that very differently. Who remembers? Mm -hmm. Capitals help our eyes and screen readers process information more clearly as do spaces between paragraphs and even bullet points. Anything that helps us process information more efficiently is a good thing. And one extra thing to note is that screen readers don't recognize bold or italics for emphasis. I just found this out. And personally, I find it a tough one. Because I think about my weekly emails to my subscribers and the time that I spend italicizing or bolding in order to give visual clues on how to apply my voice and to create the subheadings for those scan readers. You know, those people who just read the bold lines to put together the gist of the story. And now I think of how it missed any of my readers who are visually impaired, and I just didn't know that before. The fix to this is to sharpen our writing so that our sentences make clear what the point is, so we don't rely on formatting to do the job of good writing. And that, my friend, is a tough pill for me to swallow. How about you? And the final piece of accessible communications in this quick and easy changes list is purpose. And by that, I mean when you insert a link to something else, you don't just say, for more, click here, and the here in the sentence is hyperlinked. It's better to actually describe what the link is for by saying something like, to learn more about my program, go to my Create Your Social Media Content Strategy page and have that last part of the sentence underlined as the hyperlink. Something else that I learned is to give a warning when something is going to open up in a new tab or a new window. Have you seen this? I've seen it done, but I've never really thought about its practical application, and I am a serial tab keeper opener. It's a thing. I have, oh, 3,000 tabs open at pretty much all times on all devices, and yes, different tabs. Especially, <laughs> so it's, it's especially bad when I'm in research mode where I want to be able to cite my sources and then double check the language, but it gets difficult to keep the information straight in my head. What is where, you know? And this goes doubly for people with executive processing difficulties or those who have trouble processing visual information. It can be really jarring for a new window to pop up. So much information. And I... I have to be real, like, this is an incredibly complex and really detailed topic. I have the intentions of just doing a quick and dirty list. Wrapping this up as an easy listen. But I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because it would be doing a disservice to you, as someone who comes to this podcast to learn about improving communications and, and using communications to improve your business and your life, but also to all of those millions of people who absolutely deserve to access the information that we lovingly create for them. It's our responsibility to help them receive that information. 
and it's in our own best interest, really, but it's in everyone's interest to be inclusive. And in case you think, mm, not really a top priority right now, the DDIY.co website also quoted that accessibility-based lawsuits reached a rate of over 10 per day in 2021, with over 4,000 in a year. Okay, so 4,000 lawsuits were launched in 2021. That's a 15% increase from 2020. And what really hits home for a lot of us is that 74% of the lawsuits on web accessibility were filed against e-commerce sites. So the next time you're creating content, think about making one of those five changes in order to improve accessibility. Watch the language used, the images, the fonts, the format, and the purpose of your hyperlinks or the reason why someone should click on your link. And if you want to learn more, please check out accessiblesocial.com or any of the other places that I've listed in my show notes. And thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate you spending this time with me. And if you know of anyone who would find this information useful, please share it with them. Or take a minute and leave a review on Apple or Spotify or Good Pods or wherever you're listening to this. You wouldn't believe the difference that it makes to an independent podcaster like myself. Thank you. And until next week, my friend, have a fan-freaking-tastic rest of your day. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 